Welcome to On the Table, a podcast about board games, card games, and tabletop war games. Hey, it's Chase, and welcome back to episode 65 of the On the Table Gaming Podcast. And today we're joined by none other than Fabio Curry, the lead game developer for A Song of Ice and Fire, the miniatures game. And he's going to talk to us about the 1.5.1 updates. So, Fabio, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Hey, Chase. Thanks for having me again. It's always a pleasure. Man, so this has been uh, an exciting time for A Song of Ice and Fire, the miniatures game. So we've got so many factions now, right? So we've got a diverse playing field, and I feel like the games are more exciting than ever, even if the Targaryens and the Baratheons are still kind of on their starter sets. It's, it's just really exciting dynamic styles of play. And we've had these 1.5 and now the 1.5.1 updates. Uh, it's just a great time to be in A Song of Ice and Fire player. Have you been seeing a lot of excitement from the community? Uh, yeah, I've been looking at all, as much as I can community-wise, and I've been seeing a lot of positive feedback. That's really good. That keeps us motivated. We cherish that feedback because sometimes it's really useful and relevant. Sometimes. sometimes. <laughs> no. no, it's because you need to like filter through a lot of the feedback, but it's still a good thing, right? If, if we were just receiving static silence, that would be something to worry about, right? The, the fact that people are engaged and they're trying to figure everything out is really amazing. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the, the community is energized. And I mean, let me jumping right in here. So we had massive changes here across all the factions over this kind of larger 1.5 change. And so now we finally get to look at the updates that were made to... The Night's Watch, for example. And so you kind of previewed some of that in the last update with the, the Sworn Brothers. So the Sworn Brothers went up to seven points. And their uh, attack profile is now eight, six, four on three plus. Um, so even like kind of small tweaks like that. But it seems like there's a lot of levers you can change in the card. Um, when you're maybe just in general or even about this unit, when you're taking a unit like this and you're just adding an attack value, like increasing their attack die by one on one rank, like, what's often the justification behind that change? Well, in the case of the Sworn Brothers, I think we've already talked a lot about them, but um, they were really on the very high end of six. Mm -hmm. So when we bumped them up to seven, we wanted to keep them in par with units uh, from that point cost. And we felt that they were already very close. So just that one extra attack, guys, um, actually just bolsters them in the first bouts, right? Where they should be performing extremely well. And that just gives them a little bit more leverage. It definitely seems like they can pack a punch still. Uh, and I think, you know, they're not, you know, while they were overcosted at, at six, at seven, I think they kind of really fit comfortably there. And, um, you know, it was interesting to see how the community initially responded to that. I thought there's going to be a lot of grumbling, but it seemed to be like one where everyone was kind of just like sagely nodding their head being like, yeah, like, this makes sense. Yeah, and that's usually the type of changes that we try to do, right? The ones that make sense and will uh, better the game as a whole, right? And in this case, it really did. I think a lot of Night's Watch players now are thinking uh, on their feet and uh, thinking very sharply on how to list build. So that really, I think, got the Night's Watch to perform the way we wanted it to, just with that one small change. And then the other big change that we're looking at here is ranger hunters. So these are the guys on foot. I always mix them up with the ranger trackers. Uh, and so now ranger, ranger hunters, they now have a new ability added on. So they've got quick fire as an order, and they've lost opportunist. 
So the order quickfire now says after this unit completes a maneuver or retreat action, this unit may make one free ranged attack action. Uh, and so coupled with their swift strike ability that they've already had, after this attack is completed, this unit may make a free retreat action if engaged. Yeah, and you can cycle out a lot of damage there. What was the thought behind that change? Um, also, we removed opportunists from them. Oh, right. We felt that they should have a stronger focus on their maneuverability and positioning. And they, they were already per performing that role, and it was already pretty clear what the role was in the army. We decided that they need a little bit of a change so they could execute better their role. Yeah, so before they kind of competing with the crossbowmen more, I feel like now they had really like a distinct identity between like ranger hunters and builder crossbowmen, where both can get like you know extra shots in a round, but they do it in like very different ways. Yeah, I agree. And also now it, it shows that they're actually the aggressive part of the ranger uh, of the ranged units that the Night's Watch has available, right? And they also uh, fit better the ranger theme w as well as the ranger trackers and things that are to come. I guess what I'm really trying to see here is like the, the difference between like uh, rangers and builders is the builders are more like the defensive siege weapon components and the rangers are the kind of like the swift, fast attacking options. Um, I think it's really cool that that theme is coming through as well. Yeah, definitely. And then bridging this, and then bridging this gap between the the kind of more expensive now seven and eight point units in the Night's Watch army. You've now got some changes to conscripts as well. Now, I've got to say, as a Free Folk player, I was a little bit surprised to look at this card and see that now conscripts have gained the insignificant keyword, meaning that the, they are no longer worth victory points from victory through combat. Um, you know, why, why, why can't just the Free Folk be special like that? Why, why do you have to give some to conscripts? What's going on there? <laughs> uh yeah i think conscripts kind of deserved it right they they weren't really fitting with the night's watch in general and they were kind of the the odd one out the yeah they were the the leftover child in the night's watch faction and since they were uninitiated and they couldn't attach vows that was really severe uh that was a really severe drawback to the unit since Nightwatch really needs those vows and the card synergies. Now they can take vows and they also don't give victory through combat. We think that that's enough of a change to make them uh, appear more on the table. Oh, I like it. I like it. And so, you know, we've got this gap here, though, in the Night's Watch army where we have like four point units and then it's all like, you know, seven, eight, like much more expensive units. Uh, is that a deliberate design choice? Yeah, definitely. Um, so Night's Watch, by design, is supposed to be this elite faction, right? Mm -hmm. That does a lot of cool things with fewer units. But the conscripts, they kind of go on the opposite direction, just as a sort of way to give us a little bit more of a design space and also to help players have um, gap fillers for their list building. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Uh, although I'm not excited to see uh, a, a conscript swarm across the table from me at, with, as I'm a free folk player that also has insignificant. Uh, but I have to, I have to get some. I actually haven't played against. Well, I'm actually really looking forward to actually trying to play against the Night's Watch uh, conscript list now, 
that uh, has insignificant. That'll be like a whole different game experience. And I'll have to really think about what it's like fighting into insignificant now as a free folk player when I've been pretty spoiled so far. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I guess they're still more expensive than Raiders. So That's true. Yes, but these, I do know, get reinforcements. Each time this unit activates, it may restore up to D3 wounds. If you control the wealth zone, restore three wounds instead. You know, you could always think about just putting it out there for 1.6. Uh, maybe something like that for Raiders. We could just have them be auto-healing. I don't know. That's <laughs> Yeah, sure, Chase. Yeah, that will definitely be their next patch. And that's, and that's how changes are made, apparently. It's just, uh, yeah, on air, get you to say something, and then now it has to be true. It'll be quoted on some, like, forum or something. <laughs> yeah, so just in my defense, I'm being ironical, right? So <laughs> now, now you're worried about it. <laughs> All right. Now, here's an interesting one. Ghost has been changed. So Silent Predator has been reworked. So it used to be when this attack is selected, enemies may not play tactics cards for the rest of the turn, and enemies do not get defense saves against this attack. Now Silent Predator has removed the enemies do not get defense saves against this attack. And also, uh, Ghost now apparently hasn't sworn any Night's Watch vows and can't attach them. You know, so is this continuing on with the legacy that apparently Simon Games hates direwolves? Is that what's going on here? What's the, what's the deal? <laughs> uh, so... Not throwing all the tough questions here. Yeah. <laughs> I like the direwolves, and <laughs> that's why I keep a close eye on them, right? Okay. And Ghost was a little bit uh, out of par with his fellow direwolves, and this is just to put him more in the ballpark that he's supposed to be. He's supposed to be also a support unit, you know, that is going to help you uh, trigger your Jon Snow abilities, you know, so you go in with Ghost, and then you go in with your Jon Snow unit, and he's not supposed to be a little missile. Right. <laughs> and I think that catches it now, too, right? It's, he is a support piece. I mean, good grief. The enemies may not play tactics cards for the rest of the turn. Uh, that's still really good, even though you're not blocking the defense saves. But now you've got to use him more tactically. And I, I think that really makes it so the die rolls have a very clear role now. Yeah, and he was the last one of the Cubs, you know, the Raunt of the Litter being patched. And then we have a lot of additional card updates, including Jor Mormont. And to be honest, I hadn't seen him uh, on the table across from me in a long time. And so he lost his ability, Oath of the Black. So it used to be when this unit activates, it may discard an attached Vow Tactics card and replace it with a different Vow Tactics card from your discard pile. And now instead... He's got Stalwart giving the unit plus two morale and Will of the Lord Commander. This unit may have two attached vows, and you always count as controlling all tactic zones for any vow effect on this unit. Wow, that's a that's a big change. Yeah, so we also felt that Jor wasn't seeing that much game uh, gameplay in general. And we after like more things came out, we started noticing that. His ability wasn't that good as it felt initially when he was conceived. So now we we brought him up to date with everything else, including the faction. And our main objective with him was he was supposed to be the captain that makes you want to use your vows more and um, use them more effectively. And we think that now he can finally do that uh, properly and fit his, what, what he was intended to do. 
Yeah, and I think you definitely get that. It, it's a little bit more thematic as well, too, where he's like really all about the vows and his he's boosting the morale. Um, and I think this will definitely see him have more play. Also, cool thing about the new Gior is that he's actually really good to bring with conscripts. So because he, not only because of the morale buff, but because of one of the vows that he brings in his own tactics cards that helps you pass morale saves. So he's actually a really good fit for conscripts. You know, you just arrived, this new batch of people have just arrived from the wall, you know, the murderers and so <laughs> on. And now Jewers putting them in line. Yeah, no, man. I might even try, I might try and throw together a Jewer Mormont list and uh, get some Night Watch games in with him. That'd be kind of fun. Then you also got Corn Halfhand, the Grizzled Ranger. So he still has his order, Stubborn Tenacity, which when a, a unit passes a panic test, one enemy engaged with the unit suffers D3 wounds, and he's still got go down fighting. So every time you uh, lose a rank in that unit, the enemy suffers a wound. If you control the melee zone, they take D3 wounds. But now instead of three points, he's dropping down to two. Is that tied to the other point changes that we saw across the Night's Watch, especially with the increase with the Sworn Brothers? Yeah, exactly. At three, he was becoming a, a big burden to any list, you know, because he was actually sponging up a lot of points. So we think that at two points, uh, especially in the Night's Watch where you're already paying premium for your units, he should be available at two. And that really also helps him fit into all the list building and the point spread throughout the faction. Yeah, I think that makes sense too, because Night's Watch, not only are you paying your, your premium on the units themselves, and for the attachment, but you're also paying for opportunity costs, right? There's only so many attachments you can fit into a Night's Watch list. Yeah, exactly. And so a three-point attachment has to really pull his weight. And Corrin, uh, especially being a reactive sort of attachment, uh, it's really a little bit more situational. So now uh, he can pull his weight at two points. And so he's... You know, he lost half a hand. He's allowed to. <laughs> oh, oh, man. Okay. There we go. Whew. And then there's Alistair Thorne, the vindictive overseer, who still has his order at any cost. If this unit would fail a panic test, kill one model in this unit to automatically pass this test. But now his order in sight has been removed, and he's just gained a flat base vicious. Yeah, so... Uh, Alistair, the idea was that he was a, a morale and panic modifier to the faction. Mm -hmm. And before, he had a really steep cost um, in doing so. So now, uh, so now it's not as steep. <laughs> yeah. So he used to have to take D3 wounds every time he, he did that. Or I guess it was an order. So now he can do it more often reliably, and the unit just doesn't take doesn't take the damage. Yeah, exactly. So he's more reliable, and that puts him into a more competitive situation, you know, where he can kind of follow the meta, especially with the panic changes. You know, uh, just stat vicious is a little bit easier to put on units now. It's not as worrisome. Yeah. And then we got the watch captain. So the watch captain is dropped by one point. And so uh, instead of, and now my watch begins. He now has the order Oath of the Black. Start of any turn, select one tactic zone until the end of your turn. You count as controlling that zone for any vow effects on this unit. 
and they have unbreakable vows. This unit may have two attached vows. That's a pretty potent one point attachment. Yeah. So before the watch captain, he wasn't giving you the trigger benefit of the vows since you already started with it, with it in play. Hmm. While that was useful in some cases, it wasn't useful uh, throughout the entire game. And for two points, that was also being a little bit too expensive for a Night's Watch, attach Night's Watch attachment. So now with the Oath of the Black, he's a little more versatile, but you still need a play smart, you know, because since it's start of any turn, if you don't control the, the wealth zone, for example, and you want to use the wealth vow effect on him, um, you kind of have to do that before your opponent activates. So you, you need to still think smart. So he's added a little bit of tactical depth, depth to the faction. And I think that's also going to be really nice to see. As a side thing, then, am I understanding this correct? I might not keep this in. If that zone's claimed already, you can still get that effect. Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, okay, okay. But that was like that's what I, what I meant. It was, for yeah. example, I claimed the wealth zone, and then you have the watch captain. So you you want to use that effect, but since it's the start of a turn and not be uh, oh. after my activation. I can use that, and then you eventually activate somewhere else. Yeah, that makes sense. Right? So he's not just a no-brainer, I'm always going to get my vows. You have to play him smart, and that's what makes him be one point and not two. If it was like any time, he might be a two or three-point attachment. Yeah. Oh, that's still really good. Yeah, I think so. During playtest, we found that he was um, performing more. People were more eager to deploy him, so... Um, we're pretty confident. Uh, and then Scorpion modifications from Awful Yarwick, we saw it drop by a point. So kind of just kind of falling in line with the other point changes that we've seen for the Night's Watch. And then uh, Joe Mormont, the old bear, he got some some new fancy stuff. He's pretty scary. So he lost Oath of Duty, and that kind of moved to his on-the-field attachment version or commander version. And now he's got duty to the realms of men, which it looks like it was kind of just a challenge, a personal challenge to your design team or whoever makes the cards. Let's see, how much can you fit on a single card here? <laughs> it's, it's when influencing a friendly unit, it gains the following based on what tactic zones you control. If you control the crown, only suffers a maximum of one wound from failing panic tests. If you control the wealth zone, after defense dice are rolled, automatically blocks one hit. If you control the tactic zone on the tactics board, cannot be targeted or affected by enemy tactics cards or NCU abilities. So that's a really powerful influence that goes on a, on a friendly unit there. That's that's way better than the old Oath of Duty. Um, I wouldn't say better. I would just say different. But since we changed his commander version, his NCU version, um, we felt that we, we could have the liberty of also trying to re rework that. And so... Since, once again, his commander version now fills that gap of just you always have your vows, we wanted to do something different that also kind of fit the vow team, theme, as in, like, you need to control certain tactic zones to reach yeah. certain effects. So we think that that is going to not really make him see more play, but just make him kind of uh, wriggle in better with everything yeah. else. 
Oh, there's a lot of other options and cool things to consider now. I love the way the Night's Watch are starting to develop this sort of like, well, they've always had it, but this the the, the vow play seems really pronounced now and, and the importance of the tactic zone and where you're attaching things and when you're using your watch captains now and, and when you can get away with not having to rely on them. That just seems to make it a lot of cool choice points when playing the faction. Yeah, and one of the difficulties uh, during development in this case is that once you start changing things that affect your tactics cards and how you use them a lot like i in this case i mean just like interactions with vow effects uh, it really generates a ripple effect so that's why we had to you know give that extra look and take some extra precautions and do uh, all of these changes kind of like together so they used to complement themselves and now they still need to complement themselves but just in a different way mm -hmm. right and then uh, Corrin Halfhand, the Unwavering Ranger, the 4-point NCU, he's got a new effect, a new influence effect. So um, he got a slight change in the wording for Sacrifice for the Cause, which may have a bigger impact here. But at the start of any turn, if Corrin Halfhand has not been activated, you may kill him. If you do target one enemy unit, that enemy unit may not activate or perform actions this round. So no longer has just the only... Uh, the enemy unit may not activate. Now they may not perform any actions this round. And there's now an influence ability, half-hands guidance. While influencing a friendly infantry unit, it gains plus one movement and rolls plus one attack die. Oh, man, now there's another choice there because uh, he might be useful throughout the game with that influence. Yeah, he used to be just that NCU that you would might take for precaution for that like final stretch to get that last objective mm -hmm. point or something and that made him so situational that he was so specific that he needed something else now he he has this influence effect which is already very strong but we didn't think we needed to change his point cost because now he he has a lingering role during the game right so yeah. we think that now he'll be used more and it's it's such a cool character you know and model that he deserved a little bit more of sunshine. I think it makes sense. And it does add just, just more options. Um, and there's more decision points. I think that's kind of the theme I keep seeing come through here. And I think that makes the game better having to make those decisions. Uh, then we also got Donald Noy, the uh, expert blacksmith. The, the ability bolster defense has been reworked. And so now he begins the game with three order tokens on him. And when a friendly combat unit is attacked after attack dice are rolled, you may remove one order token from Donald. Uh, that unit gains plus one to defense save rolls, and enemies cannot expend vulnerable tokens from them for this attack. Donald was before just simply too much of an investment for what mm -hmm. he did, and we, we wanted to keep him in the defensive theme in general, but he was lacking, right? And now with this, I think he... he starts to uh, join the big boy league, you know, and, and has a really big impact in gameplay. Absolutely. Uh, and then finally, there's Bowen Marsh, the, the first steward, who's just been bumped up to four points. Yeah, uh, that's been addressed before. A lot of changes, but I think, you know, the overall picture of the Night's Watch has really settled in a, in a positive place. I think there's nothing in here that's, you know crazy or out there i think a lot of these are just very sensical changes that that make sense and are just good for the health of the faction overall yeah i i have to say i agree but 
there's a bias there, right? <laughs> so yeah, our our idea is always to make very sober changes, you know, that are going to improve the game and just um, keep things consistent. You know, we yeah. we don't want to keep changing everything all the time, so we try to do these and make them be def uh, definitive. Well, I'm excited to see how this shakes up list building. You know, I, there's Ron Krasnick's for the, the 2019 Song of Ice and Fire national champion who's down at Mythico Studio, and I'm excited to see what he thinks about these changes and, and maybe what a, a 1.5.1 Night's Watch list might look like that he's going to run. With the, the previous updates to 1.5 for Night's Watch, it turned out that it didn't really affect the way he was playing much at all. He wasn't spamming Sworn Brothers. So, you know, it just is an extra point or two in his list overall. So I, I'm wondering to see how this actually shakes up the kind of competitive Night's Watch community. Uh, yeah, I feel that most of these changes um, will probably notice that the competitive players are going to just make minor adjustments to their list right. because in the end, the units are still doing the same roles that they should do. They're just more fit to do those roles now. Right. So that's what we hope to see. And I like that in many ways it's you know been the theme so far that you really haven't had to take like the nerf stick to anything here. It's been mostly increasing things or making slight adjustments or rewordings in the way things work, but it's not really been like hammering anything down into the ground. Yeah, we try. Like, I'm not going to say that we'll never do that, but I think that since we try uh -oh. to be very uh -oh. cautious... What, you, what, what does on... that mean? Is that a preview of something to come? What's going on? Oh, yeah. Uh, you got it. Your first, folks, uh, Raiders <laughs> are going to Ten points. Can't, you know, we'll talk about these free folk changes coming up here. Some of these ones have been surprising as is. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna get into this here now. I've been I've been holding my my tongue here as we went through the Night's Watch. Let's let's get into it here. Then I'll talk about. Maybe we'll start off with my uh, my biggest crutch has been addressed in in the free folk. Uh, you know, Steyr, the Iron Fisted Tyrant. Ability staying the same, so he's still doing those D3 wounds when he influences a unit to attack, and then you take those D3 hits. But now he's having his cost increase from three to four. Uh, Fabio, didn't you know this was my 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 big crutch that uh, you know you can almost take him every game because you can get so much value out of him. Uh, how could you increase his points to four? <laughs> I think you just answered your own question, but. <laughs> no, but I think this one actually really makes sense. He does so much damage reliably at a cost. There is a trade-off, right? You're taking those D3 hits, but to be fair, in a free folk army can often absorb it or you can play it with, with giants and it's not the end of the world. So I think at four points, it makes it so it's not an auto-include in every list, but it's still a, it's a, still a viable option. Yeah, we like he, was, he is one of my favorites and I think he is a crowd favorite as well. And the idea was never to just... Like you said, hammer them down with the nerf stick. You know, this is yeah. just to make him more fitting. You know, he he does feel like a four. I think that this is one of those changes that everyone is probably going to agree. Yeah, no, I I think so. I mean, it was always tough, too, because people would be like, hey, like, what do people think of Steyr Commander? And people would be like, oh, don't play Steyr Commander. And they're like, well, why? Is, is, Steyr, is Steyr bad? And it's like, no, Steyr's great. He's got great tactics cards. But his NCU is just better. Mm-hmm. Now it's like, okay, you know, at four points, that's a bit of an investment for free folk. For all you non-free folk players that are like four points, that's nothing. Uh, four, four, four point NCUs, that's, you know, uh, a trapper unit or, or a, you know, a fear wives unit. It's Mance Raider NCU, who's like, you know, our, one of our best NCUs. 
So he's now in that elite tier, but I think that's kind of deserving for his, um, his, his effect. Yeah, and I then, couldn't agree more. And then speaking of giant changes, the Savage Giants really liking what you did here to the Giants with their ability re rework. So now they are only allowed a maximum of two wounds from Panic. And you've also increased their wounds total from five to six. And then Mighty Swing, the base damage increased from D3 plus one to D3 plus two. And morale was reduced from three plus to four plus. So what was the justification behind some of these changes? Well, the Giants were supposed to be the... Uh, I don't want to say this word, but I will. Uh, just the tanky unit. You know, they're, they're supposed to soak up damage. They're supposed to, you know, hold spots. And, well, while they were doing that, we we saw that people were always comparing them across the faction like would i rather take a giant or two raiders in an attachment right right and so they they really need to pay themselves off and i'd say that generally giants if they were in another faction they might be even a little over par but yeah they are a free folk unit and they also uh, have a harder time with the tactics deck because a lot of things just target infantry units and so on. They needed this, these little changes. Since now they take less damage from uh, failed panic tests, we decided to make them a little less courageous, you know, from bumping them through 3+, plus to 4+. Plus. And just the mighty swing, it was just to keep their damage output consistent with other units, especially in their point range. I mean, it did hurt when you're... Seven point free folk unit rolled a one and did two wounds to your opponent. Um, now, right off the bat, they can do a little bit of damage. But man, if they're hurt, if you don't kill that giant, you know, if it's sitting there and you let and you charge into him and you take him down to one wound, I mean, they can be hitting you back with what is that D3 plus seven. So, I mean, you can do 10 wounds on a return swing with a giant on an, on an almost dead giant. Yeah, and that's what, what, they're, what they're supposed to do, right? They're supposed to be scary when they're down. So now they are. <laughs> yeah, they, they really before, are. But now I think they're uh, once again we wriggled them into their uh, into their role. Yeah, and Steyr was always a great thing to pair with a giant. And now at a four points, if you really want to be working that giant and Steyr combo, you know that's a significant point investment into your strategy, and not just kind of like an added flavor bonus. So you know, I think that overall. Giants are in a much better place. You know, I know there are people out there that still swear against them. They're like, oh, you know, Giants don't do enough damage reliably, et cetera. I don't know. I think with that plus two, I mean, it's still, it's an, this is going to be like a great unit for cracking down on, you know, heavy armor, uh, you know, take that Tully Sworn Shields and uh, Veterans of the Watch. Um, I don't know. I think I'm definitely going to come back and start putting more Giants on the table. Well, that's cool. I, I hope so, especially because I get, I figure that you have a lot of them somewhere in a box i do <laughs> so and then we got followers of bone now this actually you know the giants weren't often seeing a lot of play but they weren't like maligned nobody was you know talking excessively about how they were horrible because you know there were some situational spots for them uh followers of bones while they weren't necessarily always horrible uh it was just that they were always in the shadow of the cave dweller savages and not really being that tanky and not always being able to spike that damage out 
you know, they hit on three pluses. That was a big selling point and they had their fearsome visage, but now you've added vicious baked into the unit to their base stats and the attack profile increased to eight, six, five at six points. Now these guys can do a lot of hurt now. I'd say that they were, like you said, being a little bit overshadowed by the cave dwellers and they're more expensive and people were just always, not always, right? But people were preferring cave dwellers and we saw that not just in just global meta, you know, and following the communities, but also in our playtest cycles. So that was something that really marked a red flag for us and we wanted to address them. And I know this is kind of becoming almost like a go-to answer, but really we looked at them one by one and in, each, in, in most of the cases, it was just that they needed something to make them feel like they were more fitting to their role. You know, this is right. going to be the theme of this episode, yeah. right? making more fitting to their role. And now followers of Bone, you know, they, they have a thing, right? They, their, their thing is panic. And we, we hope to see more of them now, especially because they were supposed to be a very damp, uh, uh, high damage output unit. Yeah. And people uh, didn't really see that. So. And I think that's I the appeal now. now though. More clear. Sorry? And that's the appeal now, though, right? Is with Vicious, especially, they've got multiple fronts of doing damage. It's way more appealing. And to be honest, I think that increase in attack die on the second rank, making that a six instead of a five, um, that's also huge because people would often say, hey, you know, for six points, you can get two units of raiders and you know in the old followers of bone if they took four wounds they lost one rank they would do less damage on their attack than a raider unit uh so you know now they're comparable but they've got vicious there's just so much more ways they can push out offensive damage um now these might be your go-to damage dealers now like these might be the new cave dwellers <laughs> um I hope not. I hope they're the new followers of Bone, right? Right. Maybe that makes it sound horrible. I, that'd be like that. But I'll tell you what I'm not going to miss is that every time I would play Followers of Bone, and I've got a few units painted up, and I like to get like two out on the table, uh, there would always be comments about it. So now I can be like, forget it, guys. They're good now. Leave me alone. And also, I think something that might go unnoticed but is huge is that we raised their uh, last rank from three to five. That's a huge up, man. Yeah, so that actually makes a, a big difference in units that don't really have a very good defense save. When these units, they get attacked, usually it's very common that they drop down to one rank and people feel that the unit was rendered useless. You know, it's still right. there, but you need to like, heal it back up or do something for it to still uh, perform. And moving from three to five at the last rank, uh, can make make you want to grab that sword instead of the yeah. well so you know absolutely i mean i just think this unit is going to be way open and people were still playing them but i think there was just so many it was a kind of this negative comment cycle online and other communities that this maybe will discourage from taking them it's exciting to see that broken and have you know really every unit be um desirable in your list building yeah, that's that's what we strive for, right? Uh, then the Bone Lords Chosen. Man, okay, so these guys are crazy. Uh, so you could take them now with Rattleshirt in any form. So that means as a commander or as, as a two-point attachment. So it could feasibly be a 10-point unit 
But my goodness, does this have abilities stacked on it? So they now have Vicious added to their melee attack. Their attack profile has increased from 864 to 876. So really you're seeing uh, you know, pretty good jump there on the second and third rank. Their morale increased from 6 plus to 5 plus. The ability Prey on Fear, the one that lets you heal every time someone failed the panic test, that got taken out. And so it's like, oh no, that was a great ability. But you put in Cut Them Down. So that when the enemy fails a panic test, they take an additional two wounds. That is phenomenal. So, I mean, these guys are going to be a really interesting unit now. There's a trade-off because, you know, they're not the toughest at 4-plus armor, although that's that's great armor for free folk. Uh, but my goodness, can you you can molt some stuff with them. Yeah, and now with without the rattle shirts restriction, right, um, I think we'll see more of them as well because... I think they they fit great with the Weeper Commander. Mm -hmm. Oh my god! Really go for that panic list, right? And then if you do make it that ten point unit with Rattle Shirt, you're adding on to all those abilities. Like cut them down. You're also adding an onslaught. Or if the unit's targeted by the melee attack zone, it may make a free attack, uh, a free charge action instead of an attack option. And it also then has prey of fear again, prey on fear again. So. Each time an enemy unit engaged with this unit fails a panic test, they may they may restore two wounds. So you can still get that like some of the abilities that were lost. You can still get them from Rattleshirt. They're just linked to him. I don't know. This this looks pretty amazing. Yeah, I, I hope you enjoy it, right? And since you said you painted your followers a bone, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah, we've and we've seen Spearwives. It's another one they've dropped from five points to four, and so you know now they're not at the same tier as Cable or Savages. They're competing with the Trappers instead. And you can throw in some cool attachments to kind of make them uh, still be pretty versatile. So we've we've talked about that before, but let's talk about maybe what might be the most interesting change for all of the free folk here uh, is the changes that you guys made to cave dweller savages. So you've actually completely re reworked the way um, savage uh, ruthless savagery actually works so now it's no longer you get one ability plus one for rank that's destroyed there's no initial effect now and the effects have actually changed which might i think shift up the way cave dwellers are approached uh so now you just choose one effect based on the number of destroyed ranks so they've got to be wounded for you to be able to to get this going they can get, as option one, plus one to hit and plus one attack die for each of the defender's destroyed ranks, which is pretty impressive because now you're talking about seven, so eight, nine. They can be hitting on nine dice at full strength. Um, so that's option one. Option two is now is still sundering, so defenders suffer negative one to defense save rolls. But now option three, instead of vicious, it's the defender becomes vulnerable. And so this happens before you roll your attack dice so you can charge into an enemy, make them vulnerable, and then do your damage. But now all this is contingent on the enemy having had a rank removed. What was the thought between this? How is this kind of, how are you guys envisioning the Cave Dweller Savages role playing out on the battlefield now? Well, their role ever since the beginning was to kind of uh, finish off units. Yeah. And we felt that since they already got that initial effect, Every time people were using them as actually as engaging units to close in. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> so, and that was something that um, has been lifted quite a while ago, 
during playtest, but we needed to be sure, you know, you don't really want to re abilities until you're 100% sure. And at five points, we, we felt they were okay, but unfortunately, they did really overperform, not by themselves, but just comparatively against other units. Right. Especially in the free folk roster where everything is cheap and they are cheap. Right. So now we, we feel that they're going to be still very versatile, but just more adept in finishing off units yeah. than just initializing the melee, right? So now if you're going to look for your go-to source of Vicious, then you're going to be looking towards the Follower of Bones. There's no overlap here. I think that maybe makes sense. Yeah, exactly. Once again, we did like kind of this check on everything, right? And then this little carousel to see like where, where all the Tetris blocks fit, you know? Yeah, and it, it's cool because now I think we're going to get more of that free folk feel of like a patchwork army where it makes sense to have a wide variety of units rather than just being like, okay, I take just two of these guys and I'm good. Uh, you might want to have you know, your cave dwellers specifically in their A unit to, to clean up after your followers of bone have gone in there and done that initial damage. Yeah, exactly. And they, they're the, supposed to be the two of the one-two punch. Mm -hmm. They're not supposed to be the one and the two, right? Yeah, and that I think that definitely comes across now. That's going to take some getting used to, but I, I think I welcome the change there. So then we got Rattleshirt, the Lord of Bones. His ability first claim has been removed, and the trophy collecting has been added. Um, what was the thought behind switching up this uh, order? Well, with Rattleshirts, his idea was always to uh, permanently buff his unit through his commander cards. And while that was very good... Once he got killed, that was harder to trigger, and he became like a very uh, obvious target. This yeah. way, he he kind of still is right because you don't want him to be handing out these trophies to everyone else. But you can play him more defensively now since you're putting the trophies in other units. He can stay back and and survive the match. So we we feel that now he's. Uh, useful for the whole army and not just for his unit and that makes him more versatile as a whole yeah i think this would be cool i want to see more rattle shirt on the on the table i think i think he's a really cool commander and i think he's really yet started to shine in the competitive scene and i think maybe it's because some people are kind of sleeping on him a little bit so hopefully this will give him that boost to get out there more yeah and i i do believe his tactics cards are very strong though so i hope he does see more games because I think he's, it's such a shame, you know, to lose one of the coolest free folk commanders. Yeah. Just because of his order not being, uh, I guess, the best one out there. But now I think, I think it's more in par with everything else. I think one of the challenges is always that his abilities attach after the unit has done something, right? So you're kind of getting it for the next round. And so the, the rush is always to get stuff out as fast as you can. And that can be hard against certain lists or styles of play. So now being able to, to kind of farm them out with uh, rattle shirt, get them out there a little bit quicker. Uh, I think that's that's going to make it much more appealing. And then we got Mance Raider, the king behind the king beyond the wall. Now speaking of shadows, now Mance was one of the original commanders that you got right out of the starter box, and he has a really cool style of play, meticulous planning. He's got all these cool tactics cards, and. You know, the problem was is that he's really been overshadowed recently by his NCU. And also with a more recent change that uh, NCU's claiming a tactic zone can activate and choose not to go on the board. Um, that also undercut his ability and, and his kind of older 
style of play. It still forces the decision, but now you couldn't like force somebody to fall into wildling diplomacy. Now they can kind of work their way out of it. I mean, you're still denying his own, which is great. So we had this kind of like semi-control style, but now you guys have really made some really interesting changes that I think will catapult him. And, you know, there are some people that are still playing Mance. This will make him only better in their hands. So his inspiring presence bonus increased from six plus to five plus. Now he has a short range bubble where units morale becomes a five plus. And in addition to that, which is pretty good in a free folk army, you've now also added the order cunning strategy. When an enemy within short range uses an order or is targeted by attack this card, roll a die on a three plus cancel that order or tactics card. Wow. That's pretty amazing. So Mance was supposed to be the strategical mastermind behind uh, the Free Folk Army, right? Yeah. He's king beyond the wall, like his card says. So we wanted to reflect that more and make him more of a strategical uh, um, genius, right? So cunning strategy, I think, will help that a lot. And Inspiring Presence was already very good at a 6+, plus, but we believe that with the new Panic Changes... Um, it's more fitting for it to be a five plus just the way that the modifiers are working and mm -hmm. affecting the numbers now man that's going to be a, kind of like the new control style commander for free folk that's cool and that's going to be a great like list b guy to have just in the pocket so you can shut down like a lot of the really popular meta picks so you know there's certain cards or combinations you want to stop uh just have him ready to go amazing <laughs> And then we got Harma's Bannerman. So no changes to Harma, but her Bannerman is being reduced from one point to zero. Whoa, what's the, what's the thought with that? The thing is, if you're going to put an extra one point into a unit, uh, especially, once again, in Free Folk, where you're, you're already paying for Harma, unless he's your commander, but then that's an opportunity cost as well. Um, if you're investing another point for the Bannerman and for his extra effect, that's really uh, turning these units that are supposed to be lots and very cheap into these like bunkers for points. So it, reducing him to zero, we hope that we'll see more of him and we'll see um, how he interacts better with, with Harma. Because we, we thought that people would always pick him alongside Harma, like, oh, if you're getting Harma, why not get the Bannerman as well? But since that wasn't happening, reducing it to zero will will make him appear more. Every time harm is on the table, he'll be there as well, hopefully. Yeah. And that's not really a problem in the prefolk list. Like he's not breaking anything, and he's not really uh, doing something that's unique. He's just adding more of something that prefolk already have a lot of access to. So and, that's okay. And so his he basically his order in sight when he the unit attacks with a melee attack before attack dice are roll as an order, this attack rolls its highest attack die value and gains vicious, but then the unit suffers D3 wounds after completing the attack. So basically he's paying for his ability. He's paying for his his unit attachment through doing the wounds he's gonna be doing hurting you during the game. Exactly. He he didn't really need that point and once again, now he's going to, not he himself, but Harma is going to fit her role better alongside with her Bannerman. And then finally, last but not least, and I always say Jarl, but I believe it might be Jarl, the advanced raid leader. His cost has been reduced from two to one. And for those of you that are like, what does that guy even do? I don't remember. I never take him. He had Jarl's scouting party, 
You may hold Jarl's unit off the table instead of deploying them as normal. When you claim the maneuver tactic zone, you may replace that zone's effect with deploy Jarl's unit anywhere fully within short range of a flank table edge. This is not their activation. Wow. At one point, not only does that card have some beautiful artwork, I don't know who that's modeled after, but man, he's going to be super good in a unit at only one point. Yeah, at two points, since he's, uh, I'm going to say only, but this is a very strong effect, <laughs> right? But since he's only bringing uh, uh, tactical advantages, like deployment advantages, and after that, you just spend two points in investing on this unit that is not going to get any uh, table perks, table mm -hmm. benefits. Uh, maybe just putting him down to one uh, we thought might be the solution. We we tried it out. We tried changing him a little bit, his effects. And in the end, it was just uh, simpler to drop him down to one point. We feel that's going to make him uh, more playable and also uh, still keep him consistent with all the free folk attachments because uh, a two-point free folk attachment is very expensive, right? Yeah, that was always the problem. Was, it was like, what do you put him in? Because you put him in a, a really good unit, you know, you say, God, you put him in a Followers of Bone, uh, that would have been an eight-point unit. You know, you you might be able to get that value out of there, but that's like a big risk, especially if they're stopping you from grabbing the Maneuver Tactic Zone. You're, you got a whole eight-point unit that's stuck off the table. Yeah, exactly. So now it's just a seven-point unit, you know? <laughs> and well, you can put a Dweller yeah. Alpha somewhere. Right. But I think that one point, I mean, that's as, as low as it goes. Although Harmer's Banner, man, I guess maybe not. But, you know, it does give you some interesting choices. And on some game modes, I mean, that's going to be really effective. Also, getting rid of those accursed siege weapons. <laughs> no escape from us. Yeah, well, now soon enough, you guys be getting bears. I guess they're pretty good against siege weapons as well. Yes, excellent. All right, so those are the, the Night's Watch and the Free Folk updates. And it was a lot we've been talking through. But... Uh, the final thing is, uh, what's been really great about this game is that you've been really keeping the updates uh, somewhat responsive. And you've been, you know, looking at how things are playing in playtesting, putting on the larger community, seeing what competitive players are doing with them, and then, you know, kind of reassessing things. And I think what spoke to that the most was the changes that you made in 1.5.1 to the things that rolled out in the initial release. So there was a few units, Flayed Men, Lord Varus, Tyrion, how, and the House Umber Great Axes that all have now another update. Generally, what was kind of your thoughts behind, you know, uh, that process? And, you know, why did you decide to make these changes? So we feel that community feedback is very valuable. And although playtest data is where we get our main uh, source of information and um, uh, the main decision-making is taken through that form, we, we do stay on top of the community and we do try to uh, see what everyone is saying and try to retrieve tournament data to really show you guys that we're, we're paying attention, you know, and we're not just doing things arbitrarily. These are not just whims. Uh, we're definitely listening to stuff. And sometimes if we do have to uh, change something again or change something back it's because of exactly that because we were listening to you guys and we felt that uh you had the reason 
And so just briefly here, so Varus going down to four points from five. Uh, and that, you know, I think that we definitely saw a precipitous drop off. I think someone was talking about there was like 60 tournament games and there was no Varus. And it was like, wow, when it used to be in every list, um, dropping him back down. I think, you know, what's interesting is that it's not just, I mean, it's basically reverting him in some ways, but I don't know if we're going to see him in every list now. I think the landscape might have changed a bit. And so, uh, you know, just even since 1.5. So I think that's a pretty safe, safe change. Um, the Tyrion, the giant of Lannister, reduced from three points to two points, another point reduction uh, that might make him see more play. Uh, uh, so the great axes, they got they they uh, got their plus one to hit when engaged removed and their speed reverted to four. So that's going to mean they're going to use a little bit more of their tactical resources to get moving around as fast. But I definitely think there's a lot of uh, competitive players that were trying to find ways to break great axes. And uh, this will maybe make it so that that top level play, they can't be abused as much while still letting the lower levels of play, you know, get good work out of them. It's still a really strong unit with a clear role. And then the the flayed men. Why why the change of the flayed men here? Negative one attack die at the second rank, and war flail is modified. Uh, and then ferocious assault is incorporated into the part of the war flail rules. You know why? Just kind of generally these changes. So the flayed men they were competing with other heavy cavalry units mm -hmm. in a way that in, instead of you picking flayed men because you wanted some sort of a consistency in in doing damage once engaged or if you wanted the flayed men because you wanted to do a panic list people were just straight out swapping them for other heavy cavalries and we felt that they should uh, be pushed into their role again you know so i wouldn't say this is either a buff or a nerf it's just a little um role shift or role fix, I could say, to to make them do what they do. So it's not like the de facto cavalry choice for every faction now. Exactly, except for free folk. That's just a dig. That was uncalled for, sir. That was just some trash talk. How dare you? I see <laughs> how it is. You know, I'm. It's, it doesn't. I don't know if it's in the cards for me getting out to Adepticon here. I'm gonna see if I can uh, make something work. But I know a lot of guys are going out there. And uh, Little Birds told me that you might be making an appearance at Adepticon. Well, let's keep it at the Little Birds, you know. But um, I guess you know your stuff, Varys. Now that, my, now that the points went down to four, I got some you know, more messages coming in here. I, I know what's up. So, uh, well, that's amazing. And so I, if you're going to Adepticon, people, and you're looking to play A Song of Ice and Fire, look for... Fabio Curry, because you know you'll be the handsome guy that looks like a a Stormcrow archer, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, you're little birds, man. There's a. Uh, does anyone? Yeah, if you look at the cover of the Stormcrow archers box, there is that front archer, man. That guy, he's looking, he's looking stylish. He's got a little F pin. I don't know. What do you think about that guy? Is that a some beautiful yeah. art there, right? Yeah, I don't know what he was based on, but that's one handsome-looking fella, you know? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Man, if, all right. Well, you know, if you're out there in the Song of Ice and Fire community and you love the work that uh, Michael Chanel and, of course, Fabio Curry have been doing in the development of this game, um, if you're at Adepticon, take a second, go find them, say hi, say thanks. Well, thanks for yeah. coming on here to talk about all these items. <laughs>
It was a lot. You got a lot of good stuff here. Yeah, I guess there's always a, a lot of cover with you and a lot of tricky questions, right, Chase? I, I know. I need to get my... Trying to twist you up here, here, but it was just good to good good to catch up again. Are you going to be playing any games at Adepticon? Um, I can't really say because I'm not really the one that controls my agenda. It will be oh. handed down to me, right? Not yet, not yet. Okay, so what sort of petition do we need to make to have a, a Fabio Curry developer game? And uh, maybe we get the you know we'll see we maybe we'll, we'll we'll pick out what you could play too. Obviously, it should be free folk, but. <laughs> you know, we'll start our letter writing campaign to uh, uh, come on headquarters now. Well, I guess you you could do that. I don't know. I, <laughs> it's going to be like, and Fabio Curry was released from company. He's been fired because of a, a massive amount of letter annoyance. No, no, no. <laughs> well, but man, I, I uh, if I do make it out there, I will definitely be down and uh if i can't i'm gonna have to have some people say hi by proxy maybe i'll get a maybe i can get a a, a storm crow mercenary archer box set signed or something <laughs> yeah for sure yeah we can sweet all right well thank you so much for coming on the podcast and in the meantime i hope you get your miniatures on the table